Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Trendsetters CMO podcast episode. Today, I'm joined by Bill Hurley. Bill is a digital transformation leader focused on customer experience and is formerly a CMO with Cineverse, CenturyLink, and Unify. Bill, it is a pleasure to have you on today. Thanks so much for your time. Great to be here, Jake. So, and so Happy New Year. Can yes. I say Happy New Year? Yes, yes, of course. Happy New Year. This will go out soon, so it's still in. Okay. If there was ever a year to more celebrate than 2021, yeah. I don't know if, it's, <laughs> yeah. if yeah. it's existed at this point. And, you know, the first question I have for you as we head into uh, next year and as we start to kind of respond to COVID and get things figured out, we're all thinking about the future. And COVID certainly right. brought on transformation in a lot of industries and, and really, really accelerated um, I, I know post-corona, that book by Scott Galloway that, that came out a few weeks ago was yeah. really an incredible read um, yeah. on exactly that. But there, there's a lot happening in the space right now. And we have we have crypto, AI, blockchain, AR, VR now with Oculus seems to be, you know, creating some new experiences. So it'll be interesting to see. But we have this plethora and I'm a huge believer in Moore's law of this acceleration of it. So so it is, in fact, kind of accelerating. Uh, but there, there's a lot taking place. So. From your perspective, what, what kind of intrigues you most in terms of either a technology, a transformation? I guess, what's on your mind in, in this whole kind of digital transformation realm? Yeah, sure. So when I think about digital transformation, I think about it in four categories, right? So every organization on earth is going through some sort of digital transformation along one of four lines. One is they're trying to improve their customer experience. They're trying to improve their operational efficiencies, their internal operational efficiencies. They're trying, or three, they're trying to create new products and services that are digital versions of what maybe they were offering in the past. And four, they're doing it all in a manner that reduces risks and improves their security profile, right? So with this digital transformation, the surface area, the risk surface area is huge. Mm -hmm. So when, when you think about that, whether it's customer experience, operational efficiencies, new products or risk management, the area that fascinates the most and where the technologies really start to come together for me is in that area of customer experience. And so what's fascinating to me is how and what's what's next, if you will, is how are organizations understanding customers' needs and then delivering on, on those needs through new types of experiences, whether those experiences are purely digital or an integration of digital and physical, but it is that ability. And I'm not just talking about, you know, like, oh, wow, this was a wonderful event. I'm talking about at every interaction point along the life cycle of that customer. Mm -hmm. What does the experience look like so that I can get, keep and grow more customers? So that to me, when I talk about digital transformation, that's what's got me most excited. And you can think about how AI or ML is improving the customer experience and what that means. You can think about um, some of the things you're talking about in terms of uh, VR and AR and how those are going to improve the customer experience. But it's for me, it's always through that. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of I, I, I got marketing on the brain. Right. So it's just I'm always going to be thinking about it from that customer experience perspective. Yeah, that's incredible. And I love that you're aligned with the customer experience, because I fear sometimes those in innovation and digital transformation. Um, especially I would say younger individuals who, who might have a background in engineering or, or just read way too much into that, that category. I think sometimes the, the problem is some, it's almost like this exploration of technology and innovation for the sake of innovation, not necessarily yeah. for, for any purpose. It's like, you yeah. know, and I guess you could, you know, define what SpaceX is doing in that arena. Like, Hey, we're going to go to Mars. Is anyone ready to go to Mars? I don't know. We'll see, you know? And that's obviously a, a wild example, but there's so much digital transformation that we're simply just not ready for. 
Um, right. So, so from your perspective, some of the hurdles for corporations in this arena is defining what is success and what is ultimately like winning in the tra digital transformation realm. Because I think every company, they, they certainly love to be always ahead of the curve and always the, the leader in that category. Uh, but you also can't in invest the majority of your time, energy and resources towards something if you don't know if it's going to prove out. So for you, I guess, how do you define winning in this in this kind of category? Right, right. So you're, you're, you bring up a, a, a really important point uh, in the first part of that question, which is don't get caught on the technology for the technology's sake, right? You know, shiny object over here, let me go and chase that. If it has absolutely no relevance to your customer or to your market or what you're trying to do with your business and how you're going to grow your business, right? So if it's not going to help you in terms of improving that customer experience and driving revenue growth or finding ways to be more operationally efficient, that technology is probably not the most exciting thing right now for you. Having said that, if you can step back and think about what it means to win, and when we talk about winning, you know, um, we're talking about winning aspiration, winning aspirationally. There's uh, and there's been great books. Uh, you mentioned uh, Galloway before. This was a number of years ago. A.G. Laffley wrote a great book on playing to win, and I use a lot of that still. And and the idea to winning is not. You'll you'll hear companies today say things like, "Oh, winning for us is growing revenue by five percent next quarter," mm -hmm. or you know whatever. Winning is about how are you helping your customer win. Mm -hmm. How is your customer, and, and you know, in a B2 uh, business to consumer space, that may be, look one way, in a business to business space, it may look another way, but your winning aspiration has to be about what is it, what am I doing to make my customer win? And how do I win at doing that? That's gotta be what the inspiration and the aspiration has gotta be about. And that will inspire employees, that will inspire teams when they're focused on the customer and thinking about how am I helping that customer win, the technology will just pour out of your brain from there. Mm -hmm. and, and so taking that winning aspiration, breaking it down into two real key components, which is all around where am I going to play and how am I going to win? So mm -hmm. I've got that def definition of the aspiration, but then I've got to define, I've got to be pretty crisp around what customer segments am I going after? What geographies am I going after? What markets am I going after? What product categories am I going after? So that I have a clear understanding of what winning looks like within those categories. And then definition of how I'm going to win. Am I going to be a price leader? Am I going to have the highest quality product? Am I going to create great experiences using virtual reality technologies? Whatever it is. That's where, to, to bring in your earlier points, that's where the, you can start to sew in the ideas of the technologies or the digital transformation of components. But first, you got to get that. What does winning look like? Then you got to understand where and how you're going to win. And then you can start talking about the transformational aspects, and whether it's customer experience, operational efficiencies or new products. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. And so, something that, that always comes to mind when we look at a consumer kind of customer first approach in this arena is is the Henry Ford quote, which I don't know if this is a real quote, by the way, with there's some people saying it's not real, others, you know, whatever. But it, it, he mentions that if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses, right? And so yeah. there's this notion of, you know, consumers, customers, they, they, they tend to fear change. And it depends on demographics you have. You typically have kind of your laggards in the cycle. And then those that will wait, you know, eight hours in the Apple line, just get the latest products, regardless of whatever it is. So, so certainly there's kind of a spectrum to it. Uh, but but I guess for you, how do you balance that of 
ensuring that that you're meeting and improving kind of that that customer experience based on what you know, but also being cognizant of of what the future holds and and, and I guess like what 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 might exist there, if that kind of makes sense. Sure, of course it does, and and I'll uh, I'll throw a quote back at you, right? Yeah. So the Ford quote is, as my understanding is, that's that's a real quote. Okay. The the one I'll use in in return is, and I think it's Demings. He said, "A company really only needs to do two things: marketing and innovation." Mm-hmm. Now you can argue with that, but I just think it's fun to think about it in the context of your question because what you're asking about is how do you innovate? How do you create a mindset of innovation? And that innovation really comes from understanding what the customer's needs are, mm-hmm. truly understanding that customer's needs. You, you don't create experiences or you don't market to customers without understanding their needs. Your objective is to be able to put that customer in a, a position of success, but you're doing that by delivering on their needs. That becomes the foundation for how you innovate, right? So then you can get into the ideas of human experience design and the like where great innovation can occur. But many times lose track of their innovating without even recognizing they're innovating as they interact with customers, as they interact with markets, as they, mm-hmm. not just that I call created a great new mobile app, that's wonderful. Your innovations in terms of creating great experiences, every step of the journey, even in the renewal or the repurchase of a product, how you innovate those, those are maybe microscopic. It's not the leap from a horse-drawn carriage to a a Model A Ford, a Model T Ford, but it, it is those incremental steps that get you there. And I think folks lose track sometimes of the importance of we are innovating, continue to innovate, but innovate within the context of what your customer's needs are. And that doesn't mean you just ask the customer and do what they say. You got to be smarter than that. You got to take that as input, but you also need to know what's going on in the market and be able to bring those together and innovate on it, but innovate on it as it meets the needs of the customer. Mm -hmm. That's that's where true innovation occurs. Yeah. So so it almost sounds like this. Um, I guess this societal definition of innovation is is almost kind of misplaced. Where we we might view innovation as some massive step, when in reality, from, from what I'm hearing, it sounds like innovation is something that that happens consistently and it's always moving forward. And then you look back and kind of see see what that looks like. So so would you say that that definition of innovation for you is is much more at a micro level versus a, a macro, you know, we got to change everything, burn the boats, go in a different direction. So I guess from your perspective, like, is that what innovation should look like? Should it be those, those micro steps along the way? It's, it's, it's a little bit of both. So let me, let me, and uh, I think you mentioned one of the firms uh, I worked at a few years ago was a company called Unify. Mm-hmm. So Unify was, they used to sell telephone PBX switches, right? Which is, you know, there was this giant box in the basement and then there was a receptionist and she was moving cable, you know, moving connections yeah. and phones and going in, you know, number two is on hold or whatever. So that business was dying. Hmm. And the next business wasn't necessarily just replace that with a voice over IP phone. We wanted to go into collaboration and we wanted to create unified communications and collaboration. What we built was essentially a precursor to what you know today is Slack. And so... Yeah. Taking that is, we didn't just say, oh, we want to build this this product called Circuit. We didn't just wake up and say that's what we want to do. What we realized was the customer's needs have changed. 
people don't want to just reroute phones. They want to be able to understand and they want to have a unified communication platform where they can store files and they can communicate with each other and instant message and the like. That, that innovation occurred, though, within the context of here's what our customers need. Mm-hmm. So that was a big jump in innovation that is, a, you know, a big jump for that company. It was a huge transformation for the company. But it, looking back, it was logical. But at the time, it was a big jump. But it was based on incrementally tiny understandings of what was really going on with the customer. What were they really doing when they were communicating? Well, they were sharing files. They were working on documents together. They want to do video. They want to, just as we are right now, mm-hmm. those type of concepts all are part of, you know, when you bring that together into a, a complete experience, that's where the innovation occurs. So the, the, some of the challenges, though, on the micro level is folks don't give themselves some credit for innovating and building momentum. And I'm mm-hmm. a big believer that uh, your teams of folks, especially your audience, they may be thinking, oh, I, I didn't, I'm not innovating. No, answering and meeting customers' needs, understanding and thinking about you know, just a step ahead of where that customer's needs are going and thinking about what's going on in the tech space, reading, doing your homework every night, studying what's going on in the markets and bringing that together. You can get these innovations in micro steps, recognize it, challenge your team to celebrate it and then continue to build on it. And that to me is what customer experience is about. That's what's about when you talk about digital transformation and understanding how the customer can help you be innovative simply by meeting their needs and creating those great experiences. I love the the example you you provide of the past and and, and being able to see that. And and something that I, I sense for our audience often in conversations that I have or throughout kind of social media is is the reality that for a lot of Gen Z and millennials. We, we haven't grown up in an era wh- where, where this wasn't, you know, th- these technologies simply didn't exist. You know, for Gen Z individuals, we've always had some sort of cell phone since we were probably way too young, like 10, 11, 12 years old, a little bit scary. Um, right. And, and all these new technologies. And, and I, I also think for those that, that are widely interested in it, which a lot of our listeners here are, you know, working to be trendsetters in, in their own respect, whether in marketing or innovation or likely a combination of the two. Um, and, and we spend so much time researching and looking into what the future holds and VR and AI and blockchain and all, all those different incredible technologies and, and, and thinking and pondering about what that future is going to be. But, but something I always advise to individuals is that history can often tell us a lot more about where we're going than this trying to build a map of, of what the future is going to hold. And I think there's so many historical contexts and trends that, that you can map that kind of set the framework. And it's almost equally vital knowing not only where, where we're potentially going, but knowing how we got there. So, so from your perspective, do, do you, are you a believer in that kind of historical context and, and getting to understand how we got to, to, to where we are? Yeah, you know, you can quote Yogi Bear or whoever, you, you're not going to know where, or uh, Alice in Wonderland, you're not going to know where you're going if you don't know where you've been, right? Mm-hmm. So, yes, you want to understand how, not just what happened, but how it happened. Yeah. How did that, how did that occur? 
Uh, how did someone wake up and decide to put the camera on the phone, right? Years and years and years ago. That was probably one of the most important technological, and it wasn't new technology. Cameras existed before, phones existed before, but it was the, putting those together that changed the world. And that innovation, if you want to call it that, was based on, you know, the historical understanding of those market needs of those two products and how they were converging. So understanding how products converge, how they destroy each other, that ability to productively destroy yourself in order to create a new version of yourself, Clayton Christensen and, and, and that whole disruptive stuff, that is key to understanding not just the history of where you've been, but where you're going. And that respect is important. Having said that, this every generation has a new perspective that they are adding to the conversation mm -hmm. and that that new perspective is you know cannot be underestimated and it has to have some, a nod to history but it also needs to be unleashed mm -hmm. and it needs to be unleashed with you know a couple of key principles right we all go to college and universities to understand the basic premises and the frameworks of how we should think about what we do but it's the ability to unleash that creativity within within a framework within a context and i continue to go back to things like understanding the customer's needs understanding how that's going to be a great experience how your product is going to deliver against that but whatever that framework is that is where you bring together the history and you create amongst it but don't do what previous generations do i don't i don't care if you're you know i don't know all the generation names but don't do it do what you think is important and most valuable for your customers and your market. I hear a lot of people saying, you know, do what, you know, makes you feel good or, do, you know, what's the most rewarding thing for you. And, you know, for me, I, I've always wanted to be a musician. I wasn't going to be very profitable at it. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't very good, but I found other things that I was really good at and, I, and that became my passion. And so, but it was because part of it was because of my history, because of my generation, the way I was looking at things, the way I understood technology and the way I understood markets. Bring that all together. That will create your passion, but it will also help you to, to create new and innovate on new ideas. And I think yeah. that that's really, really important right now. We are in the midst, you know, since March, we are in the midst of the of hyper acceleration of what markets look like and what those customer needs are, right? There's stories about digital transformation and what have you accelerated. We completed in the last 10 months what it took 10 years to complete before that, whatever those crazy numbers are. And our ability to deliver on that is going to be, uh, and, and to grow on that, we need to step back and recognize now is a moment where, where regardless of the generation you're in, you can think things through and you can add a new spice to it to create that new innovative solution. Yeah, I, I find that so fascinating. And, and what's so interesting for a, you know, a large part of our audience right now is, is to understand, and, and this all kind of ties together with historical context and others, um, in the fundamentals and principles that you mentioned, but you know, we, I, I would presume that when you graduated school, you, you didn't graduate school and uh, and become a digital transformation leader overnight. And right. a lot of the digital transformation we talk about today was was not the case five, 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago, right. right? And so, so when you started, what digital transformation looks like now is is entirely different. Yet, you you've always stayed on top of that. And and right. you mentioned kind of that that note of of the passion, which I, I love the I love the example you give there because because I'm, I'm a sole believer I, I hate the the generic advice around finding your passion for young people because 
you ultimately don't know who you are yet. And so I think there's this notion that to, to find your passion when you're 22 years old and just graduated school, you don't even know who you are yet. You're just getting started. You've, you've spent hardly any time on this planet and uh, you're just now kind of entering, entering the workforce. So, so I always advise people on exactly that, you know, let your, fa let your passion kind of find you. Go explore, uh, but, but don't assume who you are at 22 years old is who you're going to be for the rest of your That's life. Right. And, and, and don't, and I saw a great quote the other day, you don't downgrade either. Um, your passion may not be when you come out of school to be a tax accountant, mm -hmm. but you wake up 10 years later and you're making $10 million a year as a tax accountant and it happens. I'm going to bet that's your passion. Yep. <laughs> so, so, um, you know, you want to let things evolve. You want to let things happen where it's a horrible, horrible time. But it's also a fascinating time. And if you can step back and, and kind of disassociate from all the horribleness that's going on and just think about what's going on in the, in the terms of technology and the business space today and the transformation that's occurring and adding in just some common sense from your own background and your own experiences, you can be pretty innovative pretty quick because intuitively right now, everyone is so tuned into the needs of each other and what the needs are, you know, how do we how do we get out of this mess that you're intuitively going to be solving customer needs that you may not even realize are out there? Yeah. And I, I think on, on the note of passion, I, I want to explore what that looks like for you and ultimately develop, because I think there's this idea and I, I think it was Isaac Newton. I could totally be wrong on this of like the apple falling from the tree, hit him on the head and then boom, mm -hmm. that's the you know grandiose idea. Right. And I, I think there's this idea that maybe it just stems from movies or stories of you know, famous entrepreneurs and leaders that, that your passion is just going to hit you and it's going to sign. This is what it is. But, but in reality, it's one of those things that, that you tend to find over time. And, and certainly that was likely the case for, for yourself. You mentioned kind of the music um, as well in there. So for you, when was it that, that you started maybe developing that passion for digital transformation? How did that come to fruition? Because... I think so many of our listeners right right now are, are in that predicament where they, they think sure. they're passionate about this. They don't know who they are yet. They're growing in those different arenas. And and, and so when when did that passion kind of hit you or, or how did it kind of develop? OK, I'll try. I'll try and do this as briefly as I can. Yes. But uh, so, you know, I got my undergraduate degree in, in uh, computer science. I was a software developer. I started came out of college and that's what I did. And I was uh, developing software uh, at Mercedes Benz. Um, and while I was there, I got involved with customer and customer information. And I realized that with an understanding of the customers, the Mercedes-Benz customers, um, and, and just the data around them, the amounts of data that were there, there was incredible things that the data was telling me. I wasn't a data scientist. I wasn't, I was a programmer. But there were things that as I was working with the data that I started to realize that I was able to articulate to my coworkers and then to my management, hey, this data is telling us some things here that I maybe it's obvious to you, but it, it wasn't to me. And they were like, no, that's interesting. That became and so it became it started to that was the spark. From there, I realized that there were great opportunities if I, if I looked at the data, if I understood the information I was gathering, there were great opportunities, especially Mercedes-Benz. My God, what a great company to work for. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. But working there, you had the opportunity to, to explore. 
And I was able to explore what goes on with customer information and how we could create what today we call customer experience, but back then it was more around interaction strategies and relationship management. But how could we create great experiences for the customers that drive them to be more passionate about the product, which they already were, but to help drive more passion and be able to drive more revenue? And so that was where it started. And from there, we did some some programs that caught the attention of uh, of some outside companies. And um, from there, I moved into I moved in. They were like, "Look, you're doing marketing. You can do call whatever you want, but you're doing marketing." Mm-hmm. And and so from there, I moved in and I met a company. I, I started working for a company, and this was the moment where everything changed for me. It was from Mercedes to a company called Peppers and Rogers. And if your audience has the time, Don Peppers and Martha Rogers, they wrote the seminal book on what we call CRM today. It was called One to One Marketing. It was written before the internet, but it is like profound in terms of how it talks about what was going to be happening, what the internet would be able to provide for us in terms of one to one marketing. And so by taking the background I had had in technology, the, the, I don't know, the familiarity and the understanding of how the data could be telling me what's going on with the customer, and then understanding some basic concepts from uh, Peppers and Rogers around what marketing really could be and how it needed data to make that happen, that became my passion. That's an incredible Not for that, which was really my passion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think that that that's just an incredible story because it shows like how that how that passion is ultimately developed, and you go from software developer programmer to then you know exploring the data, and then ultimately now in the marketing realm, then, then go on to to CMO. Um, and and I I know another thing we we have guests on, and and they can speak probably hours and days on their kind of subject matter. And I think a lot of times our, our listeners feel as if they're 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 not necessarily people; they're just a, a character of of whatever their role is. So for you, I I know you've been mentioned mentioning some of the music and and some information and readings. I I wanted to kind of end it with recommendations. So, so uh, lastly, I want to go into information and readings and, and, and recommendations there, but I think I want to start with music. So I'm always, you know, kids nowadays, they're listening to, to baby, little baby. Like, I mean, all these artists left and right, it's all the kind of this mumble rap. I'm not a huge fan of it, but, but I get it. You know, it's, it's popular. So, so what are some music recommendations? I'm, and, and just so you know, Led Zeppelin Four, my favorite album of all time. I don't think it's possible to beat it. I'm a big rock rock guy. I, I grew up playing the drums. So, any any music recommendations for our listeners? So, and this is uh, a little contri- a little contrived, but so yeah, I grew up listening to Grateful Dead, and yeah. you know, not not you know, we talk about all the aspects of the, some of the some of the cultural aspects of it, but the creativity, the fact that. And, and one of the members of the band, Bob Weir, said at one point, he said, what we did every night was we linked arms and we jumped off a cliff and we didn't know if we were going to all land together when we got to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And in the music, when you listen to it, uh, others like that are John Coltrane, that when you listen to the creativity, the innovation that is going on inside that music, it will change the way you think about things. I really mm-hmm. do believe that. Now there's a side note, which is look at what the Grateful Dead are doing. They've been they've been disbanded for years, and they're making millions of dollars. Go in. There's a book called "I Learned Everything About Marketing from the Grateful Dead." Read it. Yeah. And uh, it's a quick read. But my point being with music is that 
for me, it's that innovation that occurred every night with the, with that band that got me really motivated to say you can you can leap off a cliff as long as you're with people you trust and you believe in and you, you work together with and you can be successful doing that. Um, yes, I grew up. I grew up listening to Yes. I grew up listening to Led Zeppelin. I grew up listening to the Rolling Stones. Hell, right over my head back there, that's you know, an original version of a Rolling Stones album. You yeah. can't get that cover anymore, right? So um, th- those were my bands, the Who and and uh, and the like. But um, really, for me, it's it's uh, to this day. If you were to look around this room, you would just see an incredible amount of guitars and Grateful Dead material. Um, and that's, and that's an important part. And so I would recommend that, but I would also recommend band, uh, musicians like John Coltrane and, uh, and Miles Davis, um, to, to really, uh, and, and Charlie Parker mm-hmm. really understand what they did, how they created, how they were innovative and, and what that meant. And how did Charlie Parker and John Coltrane influence the Grateful Dead? Understand those histories, understand where those histories come from, because to our earlier conversation around, understanding the history of Model T and where it came from, etc. How did one musician take that music and turn it into something completely different? Mm-hmm. Respecting that history, that lineage, uh, and how they innovated off of that is, is a great way to continue to use your brain, but not be like focused on the next marketing plan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I love that because I, I think music could, could be probably best described as what is almost like your 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 combination of what is ultimately culture because all, all music stems from culture and we see that right. politically and, and it's just the, the amplification of, of that same culture. So it's very telling of, of ultimately where we're heading in historical context. And and next, you, you mentioned the, the Grateful Dead marketing book. I'm going to go out and purchase that right away. Uh, but are there any other, and then you mentioned the, the Rogers kind of peppers. Are, are there any other books, information, um, things that material that 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 our listeners here in the Gen Z realm should be tuning up on instead of you know maybe uh, binging YouTube or Netflix like yeah any yeah so there's nothing wrong with binging YouTube and, and Netflix I mean I do it I do it too but um, so along the way I got my MBA in finance mm-hmm. right makes no sense at all but I did um, <laughs> And, uh, and I went to night school, um, and so some of your audience may be thinking about it. It is, I went to night school, I was working for a global firm, I was traveling around the world, and I had a baby, we had a baby, and I was going to night school. It was a nightmare, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Mm-hmm. It was a great experience. When I was there, I had one professor who said, your textbook for the rest of your life is the Wall Street Journal. Don't read, don't, don't get hung up on the opinion pieces or the politics. It was a little easier back then because the, the journal was structured. It was a newspaper. So it was structured and structured the same way for 25 years. Uh, you know, you knew what was on page C2 every day. That was the currency page. You knew what was going on. You, you wanted to understand where the currencies were. You went to that page, C2 or C6. But anyway, the point being, the Wall Street Journal to me still is that Bible every single day. It's probably one of the most uh, in, uh, the most informative pieces relative to technology and how technology is affecting business. And it is the greatest resource for you to understand what are going on in the markets and what are what are the needs in those markets. 
Mm-hmm. Put the politics aside. Don't get hung up on that, you know, whether it's left or right or center or top or bottom. I don't even know. But reading the Wall Street Journal and understanding what is going on inside that and what, what they're noticing in the markets, what's most important in the markets, I couldn't encourage people more than, than that on a daily basis. Um, the second, two other resources I use a lot. One is there's McKinsey creates, they have great, you know, newsletters, sign up for free, go there, get those newsletters, read their articles every single day. They've got great stuff that comes out. Second, um, Harvard Business Review, still to me the Bible of what is coming next in the business world. And really, um, they do it with data, they do it with research, they're, they're, it's, it's not, gee whiz, you know, the shiny, shiny object in the corner. Um, you really do are, are listening and talking to people and you're reading, that, that's the other thing. Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, the McKinsey articles, they're written and being read with vocabulary at a college level. Yeah. Other article, you know, other newspapers, other forms of media. You you want to be reading at a level you want to be speaking at. If you're reading at a level that's at a high school level, you're gonna speak at the high school level. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. So so those to me are the things that on a daily basis or weekly basis or monthly basis that I'm pulling in. And then um, you talk about Henry Ford. I have I'm, right now I'm in this I'm in this Winston Churchill phase, right? Yeah. So you go through these phases, right? So I've been spending months reading about reading books by Churchill, reading about Churchill. I don't know when it's going to end. You know, I went through a phase where I was just studying the Stoics and the philosophers that that are the Stoics, right? So let yourself go through those phases and let that happen in the background and stick with it and figure out how that applies to what you're doing in your life. Uh, that would be the other set of recommendations I would make. Yeah, yeah. Churchill, I haven't explored Churchill much. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Stoicism and Marcus Aurelius is, is a big yeah, kind of study of mine. Yeah, and uh, I know Winston Churchill, though, there's so much, I mean, regarding that. And I know he has this weird take on the, his energy levels and how he structures <laughs> his days. And he would like, he would want to take naps all the time or sleep as long as possible because well, when he, it he had very energy. interesting, but he, you know, he woke up at eight. Uh, they would wake up during the war, 8 a.m., uh, but he stayed up until 3 or 4 in the morning. Yeah. So he would, he would at 8, and he would, take, he would take a bath for like an hour and a half, and he would have lunch, and then he would take a nap, and then, then he would blow through until 3 or 4 in the morning. Yeah. But the, whether it's Marcus Aurelius or it's Churchill, it's, it's also about appreciation of how they spoke and how they thought. And Churchill's fascinating to me because what he does is he brings old, old historical vocabulary and he revived it and made it new again um, and, and, and created a sense around him today. Historically, we look at him as a very articulate man. And how did he do that? Uh, you know, when you think about Marcus Aurelius and what he was doing and what he was writing and what he was thinking, those are fascinating stories. But like I said, Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review. McKinsey, and then find that biographical, you know, path yeah. that you're continuing to feed. Yeah. Well, Bill, I, I think I could talk to you for probably hours about whether it's stoicism or biographies. You name grateful that, oh my God, music, uh, which we'll talk offline <laughs> on. But 
thank you so much for joining. This was truly an incredible episode and covered a lot more material than just digital transformation. But I think it all leads towards kind of that same, same envision. So thank you all for our listeners tuning in. And if you have any questions, please let me know on social and I will see you all next week.